0: Hey, get your Bible out and open it up uh, with me to the book of Psalms. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one at the seat right next to you. So pull that thing out, go to the middle of your Bible, open it up, and you'll probably land on it, uh, the book of Psalms. You know, uh, in recent days, like th- let's say the last month, God has kind of reinvigorated in my heart for the book of Psalms. I was recommended a book called Praying Through the Bible or Praying the Bible. Uh, by a friend, and I read it, and in this book, he basically says that a lot of times people don't pray because they got to get bored with prayer, right? They, They repeat the same things over and over and over, and so they just kind of get tired, and their mind gets distracted, and so on. And he said the best thing you can do to really grow your prayer life is to pray through the Scripture, and particularly the Psalms. So over the last month, I have been up early in the morning before the sun comes up, just walking through my neighborhood with uh, with the Bible in my hand or a little little pocket. Not like the big King James, okay? He's like, look, it was a preacher. Rocking through the neighborhood with the big King James. Nothing like that, but you know, it was a small one. And, and I'm opening up the Psalms. I'm just read a couple of verses and pray about it. Read a couple and pray about it. And, you know, it's been so sweet to... to just to hear God's word being read out loud as I'm walking and praying it back as my personal prayer to the Lord. And God's just used that to really renew and refresh my own soul. And so I hope that, that the same thing will happen for you as we study through the book of Psalms. You know, the Psalms or the Hebrew word for Psalms is Tehelim, literally means praise songs. In fact, the book of Psalms is just a collection of lyrics of praise songs that they use back in ancient times that, that were often put to Hebrew uh, songs and Hebrew tunes. The, the Psalms are also prayers to God. So in the book of Psalms, you have praise song lyrics and prayers that are designed to move you into God's presence. The book of Psalms is the only book in the Bible written to God. Most other books are historical books or wisdom literature or letters encouraging us to walk with God, but these are written to God himself. And one of the things I love about the Psalms is just how honest the Psalm writer is. It's very raw. It's very real. It's not sugar-coated at all. Sometimes the Psalmist is very, uh, very discouraged, very down, very despondent, angry, wants to run away feels abandoned, my God. Other times he's exuberant and happy and joyful and feels like everything's rocking in his life. And he's really on the highs and he's on the lows. And one writer that I know said, if you look in the Psalms, you'll find yourself because we go through those same highs and lows. So Starting today and for the next seven weeks, we're going to be in a new series called Peaks and Valleys. And we're going to be looking at the Psalms. And we're going to be looking at what, it, what it's like when we're on the peak, what it's like we're in the valley, and how those things can even draw us closer and closer to God. Uh, so what I want to do today is just start off by looking at Psalm 1. All right, we're just going to look at the very first one. We're going to say the book of Psalms. It's great to start with the very first psalm. And if you look at Psalm 1, if you run your finger all the way down to the very last verse, verse 6, what you'll find is that the word way is used there two different times. Now, the word way can mean road or pathway. Many times it's used figuratively of the way of your life or the direction of your life. And he mentions here two different ways. There is the way of the wicked, and then there's the way of the righteous, Basically what the psalm writer is saying is that these are two ways you can live. There are two roads. It's like going through a, 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 like a park, right? Or maybe going through a forest and the road divides. And there are two roads that you can take. You can take the way of the righteous, God's way. You can take a wayward way. And really this is what the psalm writer is setting up for us is that we have to ask ourselves, what road are we on? What direction are we going? If you want a big idea for Psalm 1, I would just say God's way is the way to true happiness. There is the way of happy life, and there is a tragic way of life. And that kind of unfolds for us in this Psalm. So let's just kind of look at the first few verses. Look at verse 1. It says, how happy is the one. Now stop right there for a minute. Just circle the word happy in your Bible. All right. It's good to write in your Bible. Good to take notes. Circle the word happy there. We live in a day where happiness is very elusive. People want it. People are looking for it. People desire to be happy, but very few people are actually happy. We live in a time when stress is high and mental health is at an all-time low. And especially if you look, for example, at Gen Z. These are those that were born between 1997 and the year 2012. They are really experiencing much of what I'm talking about here. Gen Z are twice as more likely to be depressed as those of the generation before them. Gen Z are one out of four are dealing with some kind of addiction. One out of five know someone who has taken their own life. Now you think about that. Why is the cause, what's the cause of all this discouragement within this one generation? Well, some of it's pretty obvious, extended isolation. Some have dealt with job loss, family illnesses, even death. You look at the pervasive Influence of social media and just kind of a culture that's in chaos. All those things kind of lead into this feeling of despondency. And I talk to a lot of parents of kids that are in that age group. And many times I'll hear parents say, I just want my son to be happy. I just want my daughter to be happy. We're really fixated on, man, if we could just kind of get through the hard stuff and get to happiness, then that's really what we want in life. I mean, as Americans, we are we're obsessed with happiness. I mean, it's even embedded in our Declaration of Independence. We have a right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. However, many people fail to know the secret to happiness. And the secret to happiness is that you don't find it by pursuing it. You don't find happiness by chasing it down. Happiness is a byproduct of walking down the road that God has for you you find happiness along that road. And this is the road that is laid out for us right here in this passage. There's a happy road and there's a tragic road. And he's gonna describe for us how, what it's like to go down this happy road and what do people do that really find happiness along that road. So if you're taking notes, I want you jot this first thought down. A happy person avoids bad influences. A happy person avoids bad influences. Look at verse one. Okay, here we go. This is the word of God. Amen. Uh, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company or the seat of mockers. Now stop right there. He starts off with a negative. And you're like, oh, see, that's a problem. Yeah, it's always negative. No, this is not negative. He's going to get to the positive. But he starts off saying, listen, sometimes if you want something, you have to say no to something else. Sometimes you have to say no to certain things in order to receive the best thing. And if you really want a happy life, then you have to start by saying no to some things. Well, like what? Well, he gives us right here. He tells us what to say no to. Number one, Bad counsel. He said he does not walk in the advice of the wicked. Now, the word wicked there is kind of a generic term for people that don't know God. People don't have any interest in God. People don't have godly wisdom. People that don't uh, worship God or, or follow God. That, that's the wicked. It's a generic term. And he said, listen, you, you need to be very careful because people that do not know God are very quick to offer you advice and counsel and, and to try to influence you. And you have to be very weary of that. Did you know that according to most statistics that the average American spends 7.4 hours a day looking at a screen? Either the screen in your pocket or the screen on your desk at your office or the screen on the wall at home on your TV. 7.4 hours a day. If you look at Gen Z, that bumps up to nine hours a day. And in every image and in every message, there's an influence, there's counsel, there's advice trying to tell you what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable, what is cool and what's not cool, what you should chase after, what you should not chase after, what is happiness and what is not happiness. All these images are bombarding you over and over and over. You can't get away from it. This influence is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And so he said, right from the beginning, you have to know what to screen out. One uh, Danish proverb said this, he who builds according to every man's advice will have a crooked house. <laughs> I like that, you know. And if you listen to everybody, then your life's going to be a train wreck, right? So you have to know. And he said, so the, the, the happy person knows what voices to mute. The happy person knows how to get off certain websites and, and screen out certain things in social media because they, they just don't want that, that advice and that counsel constantly pumping into their minds, right? So you've got to, number one, you've got to weed out, screen out bad counsel. Here's another one, you've got to get rid of bad company. Look at what he says here, stand, they do not stand in the pathway of sinners. The word standing there is this idea of lingering, hanging out with. They don't hang out with the people who were giving them the bad advice. It's kind of like you, you, somebody's giving you bad advice and you stop and then you kind of hang out with them, you know, and you start spending time with them. And he's saying basically this, the wise, happy person knows who to befriend and who not to befriend. They 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 know who is good for me in this relationship and who's walking along this road of God's road and, and who's not. And, and they they say no to bad company and they say yes to godly company. In fact, that's what Paul, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15:33. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. And that's really, really true. I mean, as long as I've been a pastor, I can tell you, I can find someone and they're walking with God. It's because they started walking with people who walk with God. And people that drift away from the Lord, they started hanging out with people that drift away from the Lord. That's just what happens. So he said, right off the bat, you have to know that who you befriend is who you become. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. That's what he's saying here. And you have to say no to, to those friendships that are gonna lead you far from God. And you say, wait a minute, Craig. I, I mean, after all, wasn't Jesus a friend of sinners? <laughs> right? I mean, isn't that right? So, I mean, you, you know, Jesus hung out with some shady characters in the Bible and that's absolutely true. But he did not hang out with them to get their approval or to win their friendship. He was building a bridge. You need, yes, build a bridge. But don't give your heart and certainly don't give your ears to people that are not walking on the road, not walking on God's road, because they will lead you down the wrong road every single time. They do not listen to bad counsel. They do not hang out with, linger with bad company. And here's the third thing. They don't give in to bad conversations. Look at what he says. Or sit in the seat of the mocker. You know what the mocker is? The mocker is someone that laughs at the things of God. They'll say, give me a break, you read the Bible? oh, that's so uncool, right? Everybody knows the Bible's full of errors. Everybody knows the Bible, you know, is, it was written by a bunch of people that wanted to control society. Everybody knows uh, the Bible's bad. You need to get rid of that. Oh, you go to church? Really? Give me a break. Who goes to church anymore? You want to hang out with all those hypocrites down there? I mean, you just, the mocker just loves to mock and make fun of and tear down and attack the very things of God. And what he's saying is, listen, if you if you hear this counsel, you hear this if. Advice, and then you start hanging out with company like that, guess what? You'll, you will end up sitting right next to them, mocking the very things that are true about God. You will end up in that spot. You will take your seat in influencing others as a mocker. Now I want you to notice it. it starts off with listening, then it goes to friendship and relationships, and then ultimately to a position that is diametrically opposed to God's word. And this doesn't happen overnight. It's not just like you woke up one morning and said, I think I'm going to go charging down the wrong road. Nobody does that. But it happens one post at a time. It happens one conversation at a time, one friendship at a time. And then you end up way down the road before you even realize it. This is a good word to parents. Parents, talk to your kids. Talk to them early. Talk to them early about what is the right road and what is the wrong road. Talk to them about the road and what they need to spend time on and how they need to screen things out of what they're listening to. Listen, parents, you would never, ever, ever intentionally pay a tutor to come to your house and sit on your couch and eat out of your refrigerator and and counsel and tutor your child in the very things that you do not agree with. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't pay out of your pocket a tutor to come train your kids for nine hours a day things that are not of God. And yet that happens every single day when they look at their phone. The tutor's in session. So be careful what you see. Be careful who you hang out with. Be careful what conversations you have Because these are the things that lead us down the wrong road. And what I think is really kind of ironic is that people in our culture will say, man, if you go down God's road, man, you're never going to be happy. You're going to just be a prude. You're going to shrivel up in a little church pew. That's what you're going to be. You're just going, oh, it's going to be terrible, man. Come hang out with us, man. This is where we're hanging, man. This is going to be fun. This is where life is. And you know what? Actually, the truth is the very opposite. That road that they promise." Yeah, there's, there's some fun down that road for a period of time. But it ends in a dead end. And the road that's God's road is a road that leads to life. So he said, you want to be happy? Choose your road. And, and choosing that road means avoiding bad influences. But secondly, this happy person also, not only do they avoid bad influences, now we get to the positive thing, they love... God's word. They love God's word. Look at verse two. Instead, in other words, he's not listening to these people. He's not going down there. He's not being influenced by them. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. I want you to notice the word delight. He said, man, this person loves God's word. This person wants to hear it, wants to read it, wants to, to journal it, wants to think about it, wants to pray about it. This person loves the word of God. I read recently or this week about Joseph and Kayla Collette. Uh, Just right after 9-11, Joseph felt real stirring in his heart to go serve his country. He enlisted, but before he enlisted, uh, they quickly got married like a just of the peace kind of thing. And then they were gonna, after he finished his deployment, they were gonna come back and have a big ceremony and, and uh, they, were, they wanted kids and they wanted to just have a life together. Unfortunately, Joseph died while serving his country in Afghanistan. Kayla was obviously devastated. But in the days that followed, she began to find letters, little notes that he had written to her that he had scattered all over the house. I mean, in strange places, places that no one would really look for a letter, there would be one. She collected over 30 letters that he had written to her in his voice, talking about how much he loves her, talking about his dreams for her, his, his uh, hopes for her. Now, do you think that those letters are important to her? Don't you think she would treasure those? Because she can hear his voice in them. Man, she, she hears his heart in them. That's how the Christian feels about the word of God. The Christian doesn't go to this book like some kind of old, stale, dusty, you know, uh, history book. No, no, no. This is the living, breathing word of God. It is the word that God has for us. And on every page we read of his love for us and how much he cares for us and his presence with us and his, his dreams for us and our future. And so the, the Christian loves the Word of God and they want to read the Word of God over and over and over. Do you love the Word of God like that? Do you just love reading God's Word and studying God's Word and let it flow over you? Do you love talking about it with other people? Do you love hearing the Word of God taught? This is a part of growing and loving the Word of God. Psalm 19.10 says, the Word of God is more desirable than gold, more abundant than pure gold, and sweeter than honey, that comes from the comb. So this person that's a happy person, man, they love the word of God. Not only that, they meditate on it. Notice, see what it says there? It meditates on it day and night. Now, when you think of meditation, you're probably thinking home, right? Uh, somebody ringing a little bell or, or something, some gong or something. Uh, that would be Eastern meditation. In Eastern meditation, the goal is to empty your mind. You you sit on the floor, you calm yourself down, you regulate your breathing, you lower your heart rate, you relax your shoulders. Uh, This is all about uh, Eastern meditation, to empty your mind. Biblical meditation is almost the exact opposite of that. Biblical meditation is when you fill your mind with God's word. And when you think about it deeply and how it relates to you. The word here for meditate is yageh. Which means to to mutter or to speak. Sometimes I'll be in the house and I'll hear Liz talking in the other room, and I'll say, "Are you talking to me?" She goes, "Like, no, I'm talking to myself." All right. all right, we do that all the time, right? We just kind of talk to ourselves, mutter, mutter, mutter. We're just thinking. Our mind is running, and we're just, we're just articulating it. We're just thinking about it. That's what biblical meditation is. I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm talking to myself about it. I'm rolling it over in my mind, how it applies to me. When I was a young pastor, the man that discipled me taught me that biblical meditation involves three Ps, picture, ponder, and pray. He said, you need to, when you read something, you picture what's happening, kind of get a visual image in your mind of what's going on in this passage. Then ponder it. Think about it. What does it mean for me? What is God saying to me? How would I react in this situation? What should I do? What is he telling me to do? How does this apply to my life? And then lastly, you pray it back to God as your own personal prayer. Picture, ponder, and pray. That's what I've been doing is I get out early in the morning. I'm reading through the Psalms. I'm just picturing the situation that it's talking about. I'm thinking about how does that apply to my life? And I'm praying it back as my own personal prayer to God. That's biblical meditation. Meditation is how you move God's word from your your head to your heart. It's how it, it soaks into your soul. It's how it becomes a part of your life. You know, I read this week that if you own an iPhone... The average iPhone user touches, and it touches a touch is a type or a click or a swipe, that they touch their iPhone 2,617 times a day. Can you imagine? <laughs> That's a lot, of, a lot of touches on your iPhone. I wonder if there was a way that they could monitor how many times we touch the Bible, right? I wonder how that would compare. But listen, if you want a happy life, If you really want to go down the happy road, it means avoiding these bad influences and letting the word of God just begin to saturate and soak your life. And he said, if you do this, then verse three happens. Look at verse three. You're going to become something. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bear its fruit in its season, whose leaves uh, does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. I love this. He pictures this tree, all right? This tree beside a river. Can you picture it? A tree beside the river is solid. It's stable. Its roots are going down into the stream. It's flourishing. That's the image that the psalm writer paints for us. It's a very similar image that we find later on in Jeremiah 17, which says this, the person who trusts in the Lord whose confidence indeed is in the Lord, is blessed, is happy. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. Don't you love that image? Man, that's what your life is gonna be like if you avoid these bad things and love God's word. You're gonna be like a tree. It's a picture of, first off, security. Man, you're rooted, you're grounded. Now I've got a tree in my neighborhood that from one of these past storms completely blew over. The tree is on its side. The roots are popped up out of the ground. That's not this tree. So you won't be like that. You'll be rooted down in the ground so that when the storms come, when the crisis comes, when everyone else is, is struggling, what is happening? Man, you're solid, you're rooted, you're steady, you're not changing. He said, You'll be grounded like a tree. It's also a picture of fruitfulness. He said, It'll bear its fruit in its season. You know, fruit is not for the tree, right? Fruit is for other people. The tree doesn't eat the fruit. It just produces the fruit. But other people enjoy it. You get a crisp, cold apple or a juicy peach, right? I mean, you're gonna enjoy that, but it's produced by the tree. And what he's saying is this, when you are solid in God's word, you're gonna be rooted, but you're also gonna bear fruit so that other people are blessed by your life. The things that you say, the way that you live, the way that you treat other people will bring refreshing and blessing to them. You're gonna live a fruitful life. Jesus said in John 15, eight, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. God wants you to live a fruitful life, a life that matters, a life that really lasts. One commentator said, there is no barren trees in God's orchard. I like that. God wants you to bear fruit. So it's a picture of security. It's a picture of fruitfulness. It's also a picture of, of health and growth. He said, Lord, He said, this leaf does not wither. This tree is growing. It doesn't matter if it's hot like it is now in Texas, man. 102, 110, yeah, we don't care, right? We're in Texas. And, uh, and the tree is just soft, doesn't care about the heat because the, the roots are down deep into the river and it's drawing up nourishment. Listen, that, that's what God wants for you, that no matter how difficult things may become at work, no matter how hard things are in your marriage, no matter how crazy things get with the kids, no matter how internally you battle depression or discouragement or whatever you're dealing with, that your roots go down into your relationship with the Lord and you're drawing up refreshing words of God that nourish your soul and you don't wither, but the counter is true. If you don't draw into God's word, then you will wither. I, I should have brought it. I got a plant on our front porch that has definitely withered, okay? It's like 102 just scorched it like the, like the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> I mean, you just got kind of done, all right? It's like over for this plant. It is withered beyond hope. Maybe you feel withered on the inside. Maybe you're suffering from spiritual dehydration. And what you need is an infusion of God's word to bring you back to life. Listen, he said, you'll be be nurtured, you'll grow, even in the most difficult of times. And then the last thing it says is a picture of success. He said, whatever he does will prosper. The the Hebrew word here means to be successful. Prosper, it's a perfect translation. Translation. Now, some people say, see, that's, what, that, that's when you get your bonus, and that's when your kids get on the dean's list, right? And, and, and then you're driving a nice car, and, man, it's health and wealth, and my best life now, and it's all that kind of stuff going on. See, God's going to prosper He tells me he's going to prosper me. But hold on a second. Let me ask you a question. If David wrote this psalm, did he ever go through hard times? Yes or no? Yes. yes. How, how about any other biblical character? Moses, Abraham, any of those guys go through some hard times? Absolutely. Think about Jesus. Perfect. God in flesh. And yet he endured suffering more than any. So does that mean that if you do these things and you're always going to have it, it's always going to be rainbows and, uh, and flowers? And No. When he talks about prospering, get that, this is very important. When he talks about prospering here, he's not talking about prospering in the world's eyes in temporary monetary terms. He's talking about prospering in God's eyes that one day you're gonna stand before the Lord Jesus and he's gonna evaluate your life. And it will be a life that was well lived, a life with no regrets. A life that was full and rich and overflowing. And yes, man, I went through hard times, but man, the Lord was with me. And yes, there was struggle, but God grew me through it. And and you will live a life that mattered. That's what he's talking about. That's that's where the happy road is leading to. That's the happy road. But he quickly contrasted with the tragic road. Now, I just want to give two minutes to this. The tragic road, look at verse four and five. He said... The wicked are not like this. Uh, Those that don't know God, they're not like this. They're on a different road. It said they're like the chaff that blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. He he said, you know, instead of being rooted and grounded and steady and producing fruit and having purpose and meaning. uh, Man, the wicked are just totally opposite. He said they're like the chaff. You know what chaff is? Chaff is like the thin outer coating of a grain of wheat. It's like the thin husk of a grain of wheat. And so they would harvest the wheat. They would beat it to loosen the chaff from the wheat. And then they would throw it up in the air, usually with a winnowing fork. And the wind would come by and blow off the chaff and the grain would fall down to the ground. And that's how they would harvest it. The chaff have no substance. The chaff have no meaning or purpose to it. The chaff are blown by the wind. And he said, that's what you end up like down that tragic road. You don't have substance in your life. You're not grounded in anything. You, you're, you've, given, you've given away your purpose. You don't even know your purpose. And, and you're blown around by what every wind on social media will tell you is right or wrong. There's no sense of grounding, no barometer, no, no moral compass. He, how sad. He said, they're like the chaff. And then he said, they won't stand in the judgment. What does that mean? Well, it just simply means that all of us are gonna have to give an account to God. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, there's a story about Belshazzar, who is the Babylonian king. He lives in excess. He doesn't believe in God. He believes he is a God. And one night as he's parting his brains out with all the guys around him, he doesn't know that his enemies are encircling his palace. And he sees a vision of a finger writing on the wall. In fact, this is the the story where we get the phrase, the writing's on the wall, right? comes from this story. That he sees a finger writing on the wall that says you have been weighed and you have been found wanting. That's gonna be the end of every person that says, I'm gonna go my own way, do my own thing. Eventually, God's gonna weigh your life. And it's not about like, hey, you got some good, you got some bad, hopefully your good outweighs your bad. No, that's not in the Bible. There is no good or bad, good outweighs your bad. It's just, you didn't make it. You didn't measure up. The Bible says in Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have fallen short, we don't measure up. And so the wicked get to the end of the road and their life is over and they find when they stand before God, they don't measure up. It's a tragic road, tragic road. And then you get back to verse six and he kind of summarizes everything up right here in verse six. He says, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Picture again in your mind that divided road. There are two ways, two roads, two destinations. The first word in this Psalm, is happy. The last word in the psalm is ruin. And those are the directions that these roads go. And it begs the question, what road are you on? Now you may be here today and you say, well, pastor, the truth of the matter is, if I'm being really honest, I've probably been running down the wrong road for a long time. In fact, I think I've gone too far. I don't think there's any hope for me. I don't think that I could ever turn around Now, I'm way too far down that wayward road. But if you look at this psalm, if you study it closely, you begin to see a shadow. That is the shadow of Jesus. There he is in the first three verses. Jesus is the only one who completely and perfectly rejected This wayward world with all of its advice and all all of its allurements and all of its influence, Jesus wholesale rejected it. Jesus is the only one who perfectly loved the word of God and obeyed the word of God and lived a perfect life. Jesus is the epitome of that tree that's bearing fruit, that's rooted. He, he's the epitome of the only one that was, is right before God, the only one that should be blessed and, and honored and lifted up. And yet this Jesus, the only one who did it right, the only one who went down the right road is the very one who left that road and came down the wrong road, chasing down it for us. And for people that are messed up like you and like me, people have done it all wrong like you and like me, people that have got a past and a history like you and like me, he chased down the wrong road and he paid our price. When he went to the cross, he died in our place. All of our mess, all of our mistakes, all of our rebellion were put on Jesus. He died in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And he said these words to us, I am the way. I'm the way back. I'm the way back on track with God. I'm the way, I'm the on-ramp that can get you back on the right road again if you'll turn to me. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. You may be here today and you're not sure what road you're on or maybe you do know and it's not the right one. Listen, you can get back on the right road. Jesus is the on ramp. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because of his death, because of his resurrection, Jesus has the authority to offer you a clean slate, to forgive you your sin, and to make you right with God if you turn to him. But just like when you're going down a wrong road today, you got to stop, you got to recognize it, you got to turn around. The Bible calls that repentance. I have to turn around. i got to go God's way. And maybe today you're tired of going down the wrong road. There's hope for you. It's not too late for you. Today can be the day of a change if you'll turn to Jesus. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I'm not going to just say, go out of here and figure it out. Let's settle it right now, right here. If, If you want to change, if you want to give your life to Christ, if you want Jesus to forgive you, if you want to stop going down this wrong road and follow Jesus down this road of significance and joy, then I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. To acknowledge what Jesus has done, to confess your own sin, to turn to him. That's what that prayer will be about. And if you say, Craig, that's what I need. That's what I want. That your head's bowed, nobody looking around. I want you just to lift up your hand and say, "Pastor, pray for me." I'm not going to call you out, but it lets me see your hand, and I'll just kind of lead you in a prayer right where you are. Okay, thank you, thank you. Lift up your hand, Pastor. Pray for me. I need Christ. All right, thank you, thank you. Pastor, pray for me. I I want to get on the right road. All right, thank you, Pastor. I need Jesus in my life, man. I need to I need to walk with God. Anybody else? Several hands. Anybody else? Lift it up high. All right? Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, put your hand down. Just right where you're seated. Just between you and God. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. These aren't magic words. But God sees your heart. Let's just pray with me. Dear Lord, I know I've gone down the wrong road. I know I've sinned against you. I've gone my own way. But I believe Jesus died for me. And he rose again from the dead. And only he can change me. So I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Wash me clean. Make me new. Today I turn from my old way to follow you. Thank you for loving me. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room, for all those that are listening online. Lord, we really want to be people that walk down your road. Lord, help us this week to know how to screen out the bad influences, Lord. Draw us closer to you and to your word. Lord, help us to draw up nourishment from your truth. Lord, help us be trees that are planted solid, that are bearing fruit, that live completely for you in a world that desperately needs you. And Lord, help us bring honor to you in everything that we do. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.